podcast um i want to take a moment to briefly before i intro a quick thank you to robert for coming on last week it was a pleasure to have him i of course am matt i'm john i am steve um i really appreciate him coming on the show it's it was great to get to hear more about his other stuff besides the wasties because i've been touting rose west for a while so i'm glad he got to share with us a bit um it was a lot of fun having him on he gets as excited as we do about music he held his own very well, I must say that. Well, and also, he still brings up, from the day we got together to do the Wasties podcast, when we mentioned off the air that me, Steve, and Robert wanted to do a drunk cast, where we drank on air and did things, he still brings that up. Yeah, so the amount of professionalism that we've attained now has, has no bearing on the final decision whether or not we're going to do that. Right, well, okay. he is in Philly, which also makes us doing any kind of regular thing with him difficult. Yeah, but no, knows- a drunk Skype cast, which frankly, it's a lot more lowbrow. That's I true. I mean, if you're going to go, you know, low, get low. Yeah, but he's got such exquisite taste in scotches and, and whiskeys. Uh, frankly, him not being here would mean that you're just not going to get good liquor. True. That's also very true. That's so. I, I would still try to do it in person. Yeah, so uh, he's a prereq. Mm-hmm. He is a prereq. There you go. Um, I want to briefly mention something I forgot to bring up last week. Um, about a week and a half ago, the latest Autographs episode went up with Mr. Mike Furman. It's very relevant because Mike Furman is actually one of the first people, well, actually not one of, he is the first person I ever interviewed for Autographs. Fun fact, I was the first person to ever interview him as well. First uh, artist you ever introduced to me in the course of our friendship. Yep. That succeeded. Yes. <laughs> there are others. That's true. Um, but, and so I was really excited to have him on. And it was, I always say, like, if I'm talking to someone that I've known personally, besides being on the podcast, there's a connection. But talking to him really felt like an old friend I hadn't seen in years. We caught up about his kids. We caught about, up about his career, his life. It was very casual. It was a lot of fun. And he's very funny. Um, so please go back and check that out. Share it around. He's a great dude. And... He makes really great music, so I want the world to know about him. I've been very impressed by that album ever since 2010, and I always give it like a, a recurring listen just to like soak it up, because there's always like a new joke that I'll miss. Uh, yeah, the record was called The Very Last Songs That I Will Ever Record, Part 1, yeah. which is a nice little inside joke. Um, and yeah, I heard that little, little jab of yours over the air about uh, <laughs> about people asking you whether there's going to be a Part 2. Yeah. Just for uh, reference, I was not one of those, those people, people that asked. No. I get the joke. Um, and of course, his newest single, "What Makes the Breakfast," um, which is how he actually sings it. The what? The breakfast. The breakfast. Okay, because I heard Blairg. No. B L E. You did give it kind of like a bro. I did. I did a bit. But F L A S T. What I like about is always like ten more consonants than you need. What I really like is when I interviewed when I interviewed him about the new single. He refuses to say breakfast. He says, "I hate the word breakfast. I prefer breakfast." Breakfast. Breakfast. So that's how he kept saying it when referring to the song, too, which was fun. Um, but go check that out. It's under autographs. It's episode number 18? 19? 18? 18. 18. 18. This is your series, Matt. Whatever. I couldn't. Yeah, re- but you're still the numbers guy, Steve. Yeah. 
So now I gotta step over to your. F- oh, jeez. You edit them, you put them, you do everything that's associated with them besides I mean, the actual. That's true. Talking. I am. I am. I am the producer. You are the producer of that show. Um, executive producer. Ooh. No, okay, executive actually, producers give money. And he wouldn't be doing any work whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And also, there would be people below me that I uh, port my work out to. So, um, We could be producer and executive yeah. producer. <laughs> you well, could be uh, your own boss. That's right. I'm the e- e- executor and the, um, and the layman. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, sure. We'll go sure. with that. Sure. Um, but yeah, so go check that out. Enjoy it. Um, and uh, we'll actually have another straight-up comedian who is a friend of Mike Furman's and who actually had a song produced for his comedy album by Mike Furman coming up in a few weeks named Graham Elwood. So there's a connection there. Um, Also, an early article I did is with Hard and Firm, which is the group with Chris Hardwick, called um, She's Given Me Gershberms. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Which was with the Swedish chef that they they duetted with, which we talk about on the podcast as well. Given me Gershberms. Here's the Gershberms. Well, so his ability to, to take out. just about any subject and contort it into something, something catchy, something, something addictive. I mean, it's 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 a really oddball thing because you're looking at subjects. I remember actually this is straight from the write-up here, but you're looking at subjects like children's songs, children's games, breakfast, of course, street, street meat. meat. Yeah. And then at the same time, he also has like a satirical angle. Yep. I mean, like irony and wine. Irony and wine. Clear the floor. Clear the dance floor. Clear the floor. It's called. Absolutely yeah. love that. Which because is a- it's an incredibly catchy dance floor tune, and yet it's all self-deprecating. So yeah, for those who don't know, the song "Clear the Floor" off that album that Steve mentioned is the singer is singing a typical dance song, and then about halfway through, he starts talking about how the song isn't good enough, and how he doesn't like it, and how and he starts critiquing it as the song is happening. And then eventually he's trying to make it stop, and that's why it's called Clear the Floor. It's like, because he says the song, this song's going to clear the dance floor. It's it's very clever. I, I enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorites. Ooh, that was a really awkward breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Moving on from that, I want to give a shout out to the rappers who I'm jealous of, who were all of last week at South by Southwest posting photos together. My feed was a cacophony of, hey, it's so-and-so and so-and-so, and we're together. Oh, we're at a show. Oh, we're at another show. Oh, we're performing. I really want to go to South by Southwest. Really badly. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, I think this is a good point to jump into our album this week. It's John's pick, although this is another album where we are all fans of varying degrees. In 2004, after my first year of college, I think it was the first year, math is hard, <laughs> I was at home, just flipping through the channels, waiting to go to work, part-time job, kind of sucked back then, and flipped over to VH1. I saw Float On, Modest Mouse, first time I was ever introduced to this band. It was a trip. It was an amazing song with beautiful graphics associated with it. It wasn't quite your average video, and it showed something that was a little bit different for me at the time in the alternative rock realm. Um, I say alternative rock very loosely. The band was showing off a interesting vocalist with horns backing him up, with weird inflections, with unusual lines, and all this really got my juices flowing for this band. Really, really just started me going, all right, gotta go get the album, gotta go get the album. I got the album, and I figured out, well, Float On, the big summer hit for them at, at that time, was probably one of the worst songs on the album. 
it was curious. It was a band I I loved for one very specific reason, and a lot of bands. Franz Ferdinand was another one in the same sort of time. Gorillas, to some extent, until I really delved into them with Clint Eastwood. Bands I would find their their one hit wonders in my uh, late teens, early twenties. Get the album and then just kind of go dis and be disappointed about it. Yeah, the single was a single for a reason for me, but with Modest Mouse, it was it was the reverse. I fell in love with everything, every little aspect of what they did. It was like the tip of the iceberg exactly. poking out into the public. It was it was for me the perfect example of what a single should be, because yeah. it made that album just just a, an integral part of of that year and many years to come. I still listen to Good News for People Who Love Bad News at least once a month. I had a similar experience with Modest Mouse for the follow-up album after after the album featuring Float On. What was the album after that? We Were Dead Before the Ship Ever Sank. So that album has a song called Dashboard. My experience with Dashboard is it was either VH1 or MTV around that time when they still showed these things called music videos. Look them up. They're great. And I... Flip on the channel and I see a band and the who I'm assuming is the lead singer, the guy singing the words that are happening, dressed Ahabish, like a disgruntled old sailor telling a war story or, or a sailing story. And the song is very upbeat and all over the place and very jumpy and I'm sold. I didn't know I didn't know anything about the band. I was just there's a band a song called Dashboard off that album and I was just hooked instantly because of the ridiculous premise of the video and the catchy song. And again, that was one where I loved the single, and then I listened to the album, and I was like, holy crap, there's more, and it's better. I Steve. think both of you were giving away your age there. You with the <laughs> video, and you saying, oh, I discovered them on VH1. I a good band, via VH1. <laughs> it happened back in the early 2000s, late 90s, and yeah, when, when MTV and VH1 were relevant for the music scene. Mm -hmm. But the main thing that hooked me, and like Matt, I, I, I did go and I loved We Were Dead Before the Ship Ever Sank. And I went back to the previous albums as well, though they didn't strike me the same way uh, the 2004-2007 albums hit me. There was something just different about Modest Mouse. It was the instrumentation. It was the punctuation, the use of strings, the use of horns, accordions, and all sorts of random instruments. In fact, Steve compiled a list of just the instruments from this album. Yes, I compiled this list um, with my very dutiful Wikipedia research. <laughs> we have Isaac Brock on vocals, guitar, 12-string, piano, Rhodes, Mellotron, bass, Ebo... Ebo, for those who don't know, is a bowed guitar, which is uh, against the grain, but it's done. Also, baritone guitar and a Korg MS-20. We have Jeremiah Green on drums, conga, sequencers, electronic drums, djembe, death whistle, um, Korg, kalimba, cigar box, guitar, and backing vocals. Death whistle sounds so metal. Keep yeah, going. yeah, it does. We have Tom Peloso on bass, synth, Rhodes, piano, upright piano, cornet, uh, kalimba, acoustic guitar, and backing vocals. We have Jim Fairchild on guitar, Rhodes, ukulele, and backing vocals. We have Russell Higby on bass, Rhodes, upright bass, guitar, pump organ. Yes, pump organ. Specifically that. Vibes, electronic piano, baritone guitar, euphonium, kalimba. Lots of kalimbists. I never even heard of a kalimbist. Also, cornet organ, backing vocals. And finally, Lisa Malinero on viola, cello, bass, and vocals. In addition to plenty of others featured just as one-shots. All this brought together a bunch of just random tones that, that worked for me, but the most distinct feature of the album was always its vocalist, Isaac Brock. He has not a range, but a dynamic 
just power to his vocals because for me there's three different areas that he works in he's got a deep croon that he loves to use for for darker thoughts for darker ideas for just getting down and really in your face and maybe it's a lullaby but it's going to be a twisted lullaby he has his his almost guttural speak it's very manic very very wisdom oriented at the same time it's weird he try he's very profound but in the in satirical ironic and just plain crazy ways and then he's got his very high soft voice this is when he really gets very pensive and he's putting out these really just pervasive truths that he that he's just bringing forth all this just made me fall in love with how he uses his voice as an instrument and that was the thing that kept me coming back to modest mouse the other major feature and this speaks to both the messages that they get across the metaphors and the lyrics but also the the choice of instrumentation the way things build there's a duality to the entire band of just chaos versus calm of just form versus discord they're melodic but at the same time they're very dissident these conflicting ideas coupled with the just the range of vocals coupled with just the randomness and and the sheer virtuosic nature of the instruments they throw in there I fell in love with this band I have never fallen out of love with this band and it's been a very long time in coming for the newest album that we're reviewing today strangers to ourselves and eight it. years eight years i've been waiting for a new modest we've had, this is we've had this is quite the year of um of hiatuses it is and returns because there's an album that i will not spoil who but there's a band that i plan on bringing in april who have been on a hiatus for 15 years oh boy and they're a very well-known band so oh. yeah and we've done it before too because i uh, i mean foo fighters hadn't been that long but um apex had a huge a- apex gap. was huge uh there was another one yes black messiah oh, was black a messiah huge right d'angelo that's right. This is something sure. that only artists get to do. They get to hibernate. Day job people don't get to hibernate. Well, that's true. Yeah. Like, boss, I'm going to go on hiatus for a few years. All right, fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's start with the first track. Is the title track, Strangers to Ourselves. And going back to everything John said about the duality that, that does comprise um, Modest Mouse's work, this is definitely more toward the softer edge. We start yep. off with a cello that begins this soft drone just on E-flat, and the drums step in over that pitch drums, I believe, because they matched the E-flat, which is sort of rare to hear, pitch drums. Um, I only realized it in the second chord change when they hit the B-flat, and I was like, okay, I think the drums just changed up on the same exact note. Um, either that, or there's also like a bass, like, just softly doubling with the drums. But it's a very slow-paced track. It's just this kind of slow, dirgy one, two, three, four, and one. And that's almost the entirety of the track. But... It's it's very colored. It's very um, it's very filled out. I mean, you get like these little one-shot instruments to step in here. But one of the the the, the first and and most impactful instruments, in addition to that cello, is is this viola because you know it's a viola because it's just a little bit too low to be a violin. And it steps in here with this little flourish that transitions us back to to that main chord here. So the cello sort of raises from the E flat up to B-flat, and this constant switch between E-flat major and B-flat major. So it's taking the root. But then the viola 
lowers from the fifth of the first chord, which is B flat, down to F, which is the fifth of that second chord. So by one note going up and by the other note going down, you get this kind of contracting effect, which is really pleasing to the ear, I found. Also the very delicate guitar work that steps in between these chord changes, and then later it's more throughout. The guitar is one of the more interesting features I found in this song. The texture of it was both complementing the melody, but at the same time it was being used as punctuation. That's, that's something you don't often hear because when it breaks form or when it's paralleling or contrasting a piece, it comes across as very important, but still as part of the background. I like how they work it into play off of the vocals, especially. Mm -hmm. I also love the tonal minimalism of it because again, I cited E flat, also B flat. We're talking E flat major, B flat major, and that's generally only the two chords that comprise this entire piece, except for certain moments. And this, I'll say right off the bat, was one of my favorite moments. Uh, it occurs right after a line stuck in traffic, where there's this wonderful change up. And it's one of the few uh, in the entire piece, and it happens fairly early on. Um, it goes, we're lucky that, we're lucky that we slept. Didn't seem like we realized we'd be stuck in traffic. And right here, I think it was the drums or the bass that might be doubling it that took the root of G while the violin still lowers to F. So now you get this like seventh interval stepped in here. And in a very transitory way, it sounds rather sad because it links up with the, with the guitar at this moment, which kind of harmonizes with its own transition. So almost immediately, everything returns to B flat major, sad for just an instant, and then suddenly we're back to this dead calm that really is most of the piece, and that's how I see the E flat major feel. Emotionally, the track, because of that moment, has an over, overarching feel of bittersweetness. It's very sweet, and then you get that slight moment of sadness that mm -hmm. adds a bittersweet tone that follows the rest of the track. What I also really like about this song, though, is that it's got overall a very longing, hopeful feel. It, it is on an upturn. It's not The sadness is not a depression. It's just a brief moment of sadness. But all, all in all, you've got this kind of hopeful feel hopeful that goes through it. Hopeful or at least just peaceful. I kind peaceful. of liken the entire track to sitting by a lakeside, seemingly at peace. And then in that moment, the moment I just discussed, it's like you suddenly realize that everyone around you will die. Okay. But then you just go back to watching the ripples in the water. <laughs> That's a little extreme, but I understand what you mean. I think Well, isn't that all life is? I mean, we kind of teeter back and forth between these moments, and I like how transitory that was. It steps out for a second, and suddenly we're back. It's a very strong emotional statement for an opening track, I think. Especially but, for a band that, that John also described as being very uh, manic at times, very catchy and funky at times this is the way they start off this album fascinating i think it's a strong opener though and also to start with a title track i haven't really seen in a while and i like it it's kind of like here's the overarching theme of what we're going to go to and we're going to get more precise as we go well one of the things that uh modest mouse has done on multiple occasions is the title track may or may not actually be present in the album but the title of the album is often drawn from lyrics in one of the other songs right in fact the lyrics that uh, give Strangers to Ourselves its name come much later in the album. One thing that this track actually closes with is one of those philosophical, lyrical metaphors that uh, Isaac has done quite often. We have designed, have designed, have designed more unusual things as yet. And that repetition, the way he does it of just repeating have designed, this is one of those few cases where I'm going to go, I love it. 
I love when he does this, when he slightly varies his inflection and hones in on a specific point. Well, he's doing it for emphasis, too. It's not just, I'm repeating it to fill time. There's an emphasis to the line and an emphasis to his voice. Well, that's the thing here. There's no sense of there ever being a need to fill time because there's just such a relaxing, eternal state to this track. You know, it could have gone on for, like, seven or eight minutes. I don't think I'd have much of a problem with it. It's a pretty simple construction. Again, just those two chords, except for certain little moments. But... It's it's amazing how just like in the wake of, you know, our review last week, uh, Gerard Way's album, and we had so many critiques f- centering on the fact that it's like, well, you know, they picked that groove and just kind of stuck with it, and there's very little change up, and we considered that to be a fault at the end of the day because there just wasn't anything else. But it goes to show everything comes down to context in the end. There's such a relaxed, paced nature to this track that it's 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 a sense of honesty right up front. And that honesty is perpe- uh, perpetuated with the final lines. How often we are confused, how honestly we have tried, but we'll forget, we'll forget. And it's around this time that the music starts getting uh, a lot more intense. I mean, rather in the, in the moments leading up to this final line. Over the, the earlier lines you stated, we have designed, we have designed, we've designed more unusual things as yet. And, and it, it's not so much, you know, that there's a lot more instruments stepping in. It's, it's just like very subtle senses of of um of intensity like the hi-hat just lingers a little bit more so you get that that you know that that ling- lingering cymbal effect rather than it just being like a little short tss, the, the, the staccato uh and of course an overall volume lift it it it's, comes across as very post-rock very shoegaze like we discussed back in uh the yola tango's painful review you know it's it's that kind of effect which um I don't know if I have heard to this degree from from Modest Mouse before, but as John said, they are a very diverse group. It's not like anything they did on this album, frankly, would shock me because they they set up their fan base to to be prepared for all possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from here, we go to the first single from the record, Lampshades on Fire. And to start, I love the imagery of the title. This is this idea of... To me, I get this idea of a very peaceful house with just a lampshade on fire, this kind of chaos within a calm. Um, <laughs> this, the song itself, bouncy, catchy, definitely a single, and definitely, like, it starts and you go, yep, Modest Mouse. I will well, say, it's... yeah, despite what I said before, that, you know, they're, they do have a lot of extremes. They have that sort of creamy center that you identify as Modest Mouse, and that's what John referred to as the singles. I, this feels very much like Float On to yeah. me, which is their biggest single probably of all time, it, as the it, general public knows. And the way it starts off, we're all going, we're all going. Not doing it justice, well, but that is so iconically there. Yeah, Just I mean, sometimes well, it random. Re- it represents the two extremes, right? Of course, yeah. there's that sort of high and playful sounding thing, and that goes along with the music too. You have this kind of beach sound. And the only reason I I say that is because the effect on the keyboard or the guitar or whatever it is kind of sounds a little bit steel drumish um but over that you have the vocals being all playful with that little but you know you get the same deal in the verse except it's it's a lot more impactful here you get the rounded edges of his vocals you get this attitude this punch matt even described it earlier as cone-shaped and i thought that was a fascinating uh uh description of of that vocal approach it's playful in such a way that he pops and then contracts uh in a kind of in, in a kind of forward attitude 
it's just it's got this vibration that when he hits those we're all going and gets really deep, it does. It takes this circular kind of round bouncing. Oh, I was shape. in fact more talking about the ver- the verses themselves. I thought well, you that meant that too. about the verses. I mean, I mean it about all of his singing. But whenever he gets deeper or more focused, his sound seems to reverberate kind of within his own throat. Take it apart and look at the um, look at the sound stream on the, right. on your computer. It's um these two voices he has going like a low baritone almost like a like a father singing a lullaby and then this like flaunting jaunty figure sort of getting in everybody's face and that's that guttural twang it's you know it's not like this song is is it's got the same emotional center to me from as the first track but it's exactly where i'd expect a single oriented track to be and it lets you look at other things here like for instance uh the bass work stellar the drum work is really stellar mm-hmm. and you know the bass it stands out and then the drums really accentuated it has this like classic funk combo because drums and bass they naturally have that rapport as opposed to our album last week you know where the rapport is not exactly <laughs> you know moving you in such a way and the two instruments are just there playing for the sake of it but they're meant to really be blended and if, if they do it right they can provide a groove that that keeps you invested no matter what and here it's a perfect example of it we're we're also greeted with uh, the more unusual lyrical work, the the less metaphorical. Well, no, not less metaphorical. Less, I, I want to say meaningful, but that makes it sound a little bit bad. Here, they're more stream of consciousness, nonsensical, just talking about an event. Well, the lampshades on fire when the lights go out, the room lit up, and we ran about. Well, this is what I really call a party now. Packed up our cars, moved to the next town. It's it's just talking about an event. But it's the, a rager. The whole thing is he changes just the form of a lot of these sentences that I enjoy. They all kind of start and end the same, but the, the middle pit bits that bookended do change from, from verse to verse. And I think it's really kind of interesting, again, the imagery he's giving. It, you're like Now you have this picture of this kind of rager party, but it's not beyond, much beyond that. He's just talking about these event, this event. Yeah, it becomes very matter-of-fact... Um, and this also very similar to Float On. Float On had uh, a lot of lyrics that were, well, I backed my car into a cop car the other day. He just drove off sometime in life's okay. I mean, it's just matter of fact, just giving you some information. It's, it's fun, though, the way he does it. You can enjoy the party or even enjoy getting, you know, hitting a cop car. And... <laughs> just get into the groove with it because he's so enthusiastic about it when yeah. he's using this voice. He's so into it. It's he's... engaging. The The vocal work is very engaging. It draws you in because he's having fun with it. You can tell he is. So you want to have fun too. Yeah, he's just full of energy. It's something that works very well with that funky guitar line. Uh, not guitar, uh, funky drum line that they're working. These things, they often pair together. And putting the two together, one part's punctuation helps the other part's punctuation. It works in combination to really build more than what it was beforehand. Well, bringing up the point I, I, um, uh, I mentioned earlier about how this contrasts with the, our last week's album, um, you know, last week it was more of a detriment, I think, to having, let's say, the verses and the choruses uh, sound so so blurred together, and in this particular case, you know, very they are defined, but really the chorus is fairly short. The chorus is really just that ba 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 da da, you know, where all going, where all going. That's the end of the chorus. But the verses are very long. They go from verse to verse to verse, and you don't really get that change up. But because of the funk rip, you don't notice it here. You right. don't have that, you know, oh, it's all blurred together. No, but you're just grooving along to it. So 
again, it has to do with it has to do with your confidence, I think, in addition to uh, to honesty. Well, it's a presentation also, and the fact is there's more going on here. The problem with those lyrics of last week is not only were the lyrics blended together and drowned out, but also the music was also boring and repetitive. Right, and there's also something with the overall arc of this track. You know, there's a breakdown where it evolves into kind of a bridge. Everything gets mm -hmm. a lot cooler toward the end it of it. It starts to rise a bit, get kind mm -hmm. of lighter, which I really like. It kind of pulls you out of... Not that there was anything wrong with where you were, but it kind of pulls you out of the song for a bit and goes on this kind of rise and right. motion. But in, in some sense, it's almost like they really just fuse the two sections together. Mm. Because at one point, you have the chorus vocals sitting right on top of another verse. Which so you have that ba -ba -ba -da -da in the background while the main vocals are already going. So that's just another sense of kind of blurring it together, and you, you, you accept it in stride. Well, and also, it's not far from Modest Mouth to do that in a culmination portion of their song. They do it on other tracks on this album, they've done it on other tracks on other albums. So, mm -hmm. it's, it's a trick that they use, they don't overuse, but they use it with within within the music and the instrumentation, so it, it still feels fresh every time. Yeah. It, just using the vocals as an instrument. This is one of the bands that really does like to push the boundaries of whether it's just pure information, or if it's an instrument unto itself. Well, like other artists we've talked about, sometimes the singer, regardless of you know technicality and skill, they're engaging and they're fun and they're unique and that's enough to draw you in. And we've mentioned that before. That's not foreign to a, a talented lead singer, regardless of where the talent lies. The next song is track three, Shit in Your Cut, which when we first announced the title, Steve just went, yuck. <laughs> which is fairly accurate. Um, this had a very interesting introduction. It well, was... the sound bites of it kind of reminded me of, of something the gorillas used to do. Uh... But at the same time, you know, they were both contemporaries, so that doesn't really shock me. Um, yeah. John even mentioned that in his intro. It's, it's, they're all, they all kind of blend together there. They, are, they, have, they all have this tendency to kind of use the full palette of, of, of sound bites, sound art, as it were, in addition to their extreme palette of instruments. And the it's these kind of like clicks and clacks and uh, even like a record scratching sounds. Well, it sounded to me like rubbing velvet or, or scratching, scratching around your velvet, record. Right. Yeah. And it had this, it had a texture which I really liked. Is amongst the instrumentation, that specific soundbite gave a texture to the song. Like you could feel the song almost because mm -hmm. it's a sound that when you hear it, when you hear a scratching of a velvet, like or a scratching of a record, like you can feel what that sounds like. You know what that feels like just by the sound. Well, by the time the bass enters, it's a little bit more grittier. The vocals enter too, and at this point, it's kind of a mix between the first two tracks. The main vocals are still playful, but with something a little bit defeated about them. We're in minor now. Um, and then by the time we get to the chorus, we get another set of vocals that still has that soft baritone from the first track. And this really reminded me of the Black Heart Procession, which is pretty interesting considering I realized belatedly that the drummer, in fact, uh, an older drummer of theirs, not the current drummer, but the older drummer was also the drummer for the uh, Black Heart Procession. So it very well they may have played sets together. There may have been some crossover influence. I mean, it was just a, a, a bizarre observation I had that turned out to be a, a, an odd coincidence. But it, it's that kind of um, vocal tone that really is more similar, that, that regardless of the drumming. The vocal tone is something that I, I heard in, in Black Heart Procession, and I also heard in, in bands like... Uh, the way Tunde Adibimpe used to sing in like older TV on the radio, also like um, Future Islands in singles, that yeah. kind of that low baritone. It's, oh yeah, 
Yeah. And actually, the, I hear similarity in, in parts of Future Islands with Modest Mouse. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they were influenced by them because there's a similarity there. Not whole hog, but for sure in moments. This whole culmination in the chorus becomes very foreboding. You get a lot of... That, that low baritone comes off as dark, mostly dark, not truly hopeless, just more apathetic about the situation when he says, I think I'll ride this winter out. I guess we'll ride this winter out alone. To me, this really is, is captured by the guitar. There's the first time we hear this is at a little interlude, as I see it, at, at, at one minute, 30 seconds. Approximately there, we get this very beautiful moment where it steps in on the two but, and holds the one uh, at the same time. So you kind of get this sus two effect for density. And that riff maintains throughout. From that, that timestamp, one minute, 30 seconds on, that riff stays and the vocals step back in on top of it. And all of a sudden now, this fascinating uh, uh, density is is bringing out you know the, this this little inner strife here. It's it's kind of a, a new a new way of pursuing the sadness that was present in this album from the beginning. But that's that's what I, where I see it here, and I think this is kind of where I wanted the album to go, and it yeah. does in a sense. And what's interesting about what John was saying with the the chorus itself uh, of the track, the I guess we'll ride this winter out, is the way he delivers it, especially in the first couple times, has this kind of syrupy chorus. It, it, it drips with the baritone that he's using, and I really like that. Again, it, there's more texture, and what I really like about this album so far is that there is a lot of texture, um, which adds another level. It's just... You're not just hearing a song and experiencing it. And even though the lyrics in this track are more stream of conscious, some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't. I like the effect he's putting on how he delivers it. It adds another level. And again, I get this kind of emotionality just from the chorus, the way it's delivered. But the whole thing is still driven by the percussion for me. It's still the main factor, and it propels the whole song along without overwhelming any parts. It's... The only thing that's really ever present because they like their breakdowns. Uh, they breakdown do have breakdowns. Rebuilds. There was a moment, for instance, where the riff steps out only so that the vocals and, and and drums are the last thing remaining. That's probably what I just call another verse. But you know, they reinvent these verses such that they could strip out an instrument as needed, then put it back in as needed, add another one. But the thing that I kept getting drawn to was the fact that the percussion itself was evolving. It was changing. They weren't using the same drum sets the whole time. They were really interspersing a lot of more unique sounds so that you can really hear when you have a full drum set too, something that's more, well, from the random list of things that Steve wrote, uh, read off of earlier. It's just a lot of different textures being used to do the same line. I am going to step in here though with something I cited as a little bit of a flaw for this track. I think that 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 guitar riff had more potential than it was than the way it was utilized. Granted, it's a very very simple riff, and I think it's 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 appropriately used. It 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 makes its point, but there was a lot of like stepping back and forth. I was kind of waiting for this track to take it to the next level. I was waiting for that riff to expand into something else. When it steps in, it remains, except for moments in which they take it out or take something else out in its place. Um, I, but you know, it was kind of a, a back and forth here. I, I felt like it was more of a stagnant journey through something pleasant, granted, but, you know, I kind of wanted a, a peek. The song was a little bit too apathetic in its message. Yeah, it's true. The signs all flicker and buzz all night. Passing by, you can hear them say, hey, please, won't you come on in? 
Would you please just go away? It's just, he's, he's ignoring distractions at this point. Well, Other parts, when the doctor finally showed up, oh boy, his front was soaking wet. He said that this should do the trick. We hadn't told him what the problem was yet. No, it's I'll... It's just, just a little bit of conflict going on with the world forcing ideas onto him that he's just not having. I'll relinquish. I mean, there's no, there's no debate about the manner in which it's used uh, as related to the overall point of this track, especially when you consider, I think I'll ride this winter out, ride this winter out. I mean, this brings back to mind that Huey Newton from um, St. Vincent, the concept that, you know, you're just stuck inside... The yeah. course of a winter, in her case, she was making specific allusions to just being online on the internet because that's all you have to do indoors. Um, but just that concept of feeling like you're helpless and that you're stuck in a stagnant place, then absolutely the music matches it. It's just more from a musical angle, you know, since that's the stuff I was focusing on. I had a, a more personalized desire, leaving lyrics aside. But it all makes sense. Right. Well, and also the way he delivers that the line that we keep talking about, that chorus, Reminds me of the conversation we had with Noam only a few weeks ago about the winter blues mm -hmm. and this kind of being bogged down by the winter. And even if this song isn't delivering an extreme depression perspective, it's alluding to it. It's there. It, it's a possibility, even if that's not exactly what everyone takes from yeah, it. Yeah, and it even goes through spurts of, of being more longing than than other times. It doesn't yeah. really hit a peak necessarily, but the bridge, for instance, I think is definitely more longing. Yes. And I would say that had they gone for a peak, had they actually gone and not said, I'm going to ride out the winter, had they said it's spring, some sort of idea that way, then the riff, I assume, would have changed. Yeah. That, I would have felt, would have been appropriate to marry the theme and the metaphors with the music. I'm okay with the riff staying where it was, but you're right. It did have a lot of potential. It did have a lot of opportunities to get more interesting without necessarily going away from the general idea of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I don't know that it bothered me as much. And I, I'm, I'm getting the sense that it didn't ruin the track for you. It's just something you noticed. I just didn't really take as much notice. So having it brought to my attention, I can see where the detractor comes from. I just didn't really feel it in the moment. Yeah, and there's also some great poetry here. Well, the strain ain't in confidence, the strain ain't in confidence. Don't everyone go, don't everyone go at once. And then we heard at one point expulsion from an exoskeleton mother. And I mean, th at this point, he's he's just utilizing it. I, I, I appreciate, um, there's strong I appreciate language that utilizes the English language in a way that, that uh, even though you may not get it at first, the imagery is supported just by the, the, the curvature of the words themselves. And as it's no secret on this show, I am a big fan of imagery. I like setting, and I like creating a setting with words, and he does that very well. Um, in fact, the next track takes it to an even another level oh. as far as setting a scene. So the next track is called Pistol, parentheses, A, Kunanen, um, Kunanen, FL for Florida, 1996. Miami, Florida, 1996. And it so turns out that that is named after a real person, a serial killer named Andrew Kunanen, who murdered five people, the last of whom was a famous fashion designer, Gianni Versace. 
Uh, he killed himself in the end in a Miami houseboat, 1997, just eight days after murdering Versace. So now, of course, that's 1997, and I found it very interesting, just to hone in on a minor point, that the fact that this is from 1996, well, I under- which made me believe that it was a fascination uh, with the build-up to the murder. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's This is a prequel to that event. He's singing from that perspective. And I mean, just the way he delivers the first couple of lines, I've got my pistol in my car, uh-huh. I've got my stereo in the car, uh-huh. I've got my room key in the car, uh-huh. And he's delivering it in this twisted voice that's, d- for it's the first time ever... It's very, modulated, that's the thing. But it's it also... The first time I'm going to say it's actually a modulated voice from him, which is weird. And also, usually when it's he... A, it's a vocalizer. It's also a little bit of auto-tune seems to be in there, but at the same time, there's also no tune to auto. It's, it's very... It's very crazed. And the interesting thing here is typically with his dynamics, I can usually tell it's him without issue. But there were moments in this f- opening verse where I really wasn't sure if it was him. It just sounded so different and so odd. And it just builds from there. He's kind of doing a day in the life from this perspective. And it's got the whole song has got this dark, odd, funk-ish kind of bizarre rhythm. It's hard to really place. It kind of it's distorted. It's almost surreal. You know, this very specifically reminded me of uh, the They Might Be Giants track, Darlings of Lumberland, only Mm. in tone, only in, in, in the... In the warped approach to the track, granted the vocals weren't weren't identical, but it's it's very it's very much a warped storytelling. Yeah, though, which I get that. Warped, I definitely get warped that. approach, warped arc. Yeah, and it here's the thing about this song for me: instrumentation and lyrics and delivery aside, I'm not sure how I feel about it placement wise. So here's the thing about Modest Mouse, and we already talked about this a little bit. Very little things surprise their fans because they are all over the place and they deliver most of the time when they go all over the place. But this is something that I was truly blindsided with, and I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it on the record. Well, one of the main things that is different is the club beat. It really does feel more like a club song than anything else, uh, both in the beat work, the guitar work, and the voice itself. The combination is, is almost iconically... Uh, house music but the deeper end of house music the darker end of house music and the distortion to it is thematically great for this not very cool story that they're telling here when you take that and you add in those very odd piano sounds that's where I see Modest Mouse pointing, uh, showing through more than anything else. That's the little bits that really showcase the band itself. But it's it's so odd that I really I don't want to question it, but I got it in this case. I don't know how well it fits on the album as a whole. That said, I really do enjoy the song. I like it. I'm just confused by it. I think to a greater extent, you know, we weren't thinking about this in those terms as it was a fairly early episode episode 38 is when we reviewed they might be giants nanobots but i think it could be argued that darlings of lumberland didn't fit on that album but that album was such a a prolific experiment of all these different styles that i'm inclined to take a very similar approach here that's i i just accepted this as something as something different yeah, something awkward, sure, but that's exactly how they want to make you feel. After, especially uh, upon the the bombshell that it's about a serial killer. Sure. So now you're in that mind, and I think, I mean, the reasons behind why they chose to, you know, re, uh, to tell the tale of this specific 
serial killer is anyone's guess. Whether they had a personal connection to it or whether it was just a personal connection in in uh, watching the news as of that moment and it struck them in such a way. It, it you know, it you could as a fan, you could just guess to your heart's content, it's probably not going to do it justice. But in any way, it brings to mind the story, and because you're bound to look it up, and you're bound to, you know, be interested, intrigued, as we were, then I, th I think it starts really, uh, really taking its toll on you. I maximize my own liaisons. I'm going to take it till the taking comes on. I've got my cocaine in the glove box now. The sunroof is down. Oh, wow. I've got my room key in my pocket, and you know I've got a pistol that I need to unload. This kind of, like, fixation with, you know, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. I'm, it, it it's, it's, it's happening. The, 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 you know, the tension building up in your head, and yeah. almost every single biopic of a, um... Of a serial killer that's ever been made in documentary form, for instance, uh, Hinckley or or the the guy who shot Lennon. You know, yeah. this is almost always the way it goes down, and it's uh, a sad truth that some people are just wired this way. But I think this is a perfect musical biopic of that, which I don't really hear in uh, in music too often, and I like to hear new and maybe uh, controversial subjects. No, yeah. And I mean, anything that draws attention... I mean, also the way the title is just framed. The fact that it's Pistol, and then it pretty much has a subtitle explaining what it's about. It's right on the nose. This is, this is what they you want search to direct in Wikipedia. You. Yeah. Look this up in Wikipedia. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. Um, I would agree. Actually, with the point that Steve brought up, we didn't question Darlings of Umberland because we fell in love with it immediately. And I think... I didn't fall in love with this immediately. I accept it as part of the Modest Mouse repertoire, but I still have to question its use on the album. I, see, I, t I tend to. to like anything that makes one eyebrow go up. Yeah. And it remained up for a long time in this track. Yeah. And also, I don't know that I question it in the, the, the scale of the record just thematically, but... Let's let's move on, and we can talk more about that as we well, get to the Well, it's also about the innards of this track that I like, too. I mean, apart from the fact that it's just a house beat, you know, there's points in which it just reduces to the plane, you know, with all the, the, the chaos going on, because it's actually a, a pretty intense, uh, it sounds like a drum box here, um, even though I believe it is just drums, but, you know, it's put through a filter. So, at one point, all that chaos reduces to just this plane, one, two, three, four, and without all the frills, it sounds even more focused and crazed, like, like that's like, the mind getting more solidified on what is that. about to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, artistically, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to track five, Ansel. I would definitely... Uh, Ansel. Uh, I, I know I'm pronouncing it quite German, but that's how I hear it. Okay. <laughs> so, it begins, first of all, with a plane landing. That was the sound bite in the very opening. And then all of a sudden, we're back to more the, 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 the overall sound of the second track. This sort of, like beach oriented you know you definitely hear steel drums in the bank in the background and and this time i think it almost definitely is steel drums although i i read out the instruments earlier and i didn't see that so it's probably a synth that made it sound that way um but uh, it's definitely got this more positive sounding vibe it's back to that kind of single feel well i like also that this it, it starts with this very groovy sound like you said steel drums but what i also like is beyond the steel drums the drum work is pretty thin but intricate yes. i called it the bizarro opposite of all of last week's album because there was so much drums and they were so boring this there was less but what was there was still very intriguing because he did something interesting with it you know and the way they use it uh especially with the guitars they'd like to build up with the guitar 
And when the verses start, they, they actually devolve quite quickly into maybe not just the percussion, but primarily the percussion, and let the words start coming out and then rebuild it with the guitar again and mm-hmm. rebuild it with the other instrumentation. This drop-off, rebuild, drop-off, rebuild keeps the story going very well, keeps the song progressing very well. Uh, and so that while it doesn't, it's not the longest song on the album by no means, it does feel like it's a long song that I enjoy. It has a good burn to it overall. I did detect that there were very like fast moving chords in the, in this track and that tends to be very evasive, you know, such that it was actually hard to like almost pin down the one because it kept moving around so much. Um, it almost equally existed in like the relative territory between D major and B minor, but yeah, I'll admit maybe a little bit more B minor. And it had something to do with the bass line. I think that was the most evasive here. Um, but I think what I was really drawn to in this track was the choruses because they were a little bit more drawn to me. They 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 stop that that constant motion for a while, and instead you get longer tones, longer texture to fill it out. For instance, the cello. Um, at least as I heard it, the cello, although who knows, we were speculating Ebo. <laughs> <laughs> and just the story itself, for all it was uh, uplifting musically, it has this, the, the usual twinge of being kind of a dark story overall. Mm, I me didn't and my catch sister, that myself. Me and my sister hung by the phone watching the news as they looked for Ansel. On top of the mountain and underneath the snow, they had dogs that were sniffing. I guess you'll never know. His brother is missing on a trip to Mexico. He's gone, presumably dead. This is not a happy-go-lucky. This is, this is Hans Christian Andersen. This is not a good story. My favorite thing about this song, though, I think, is vocally. I mean, he's still doing a lot of his party tricks, as we said, you know, the variety that he does. But then when it gets to the bridge of the song, we get what I called his true voice. There's no modulation. There's no up and down. It's even. And it's the first time you really hear him as him or as close to him speaking as I'd imagine it. And it was interesting. I really like that. Throwing that little personal think- personal touch to the vocals in that moment to give you a breathing breathing room while getting even more personal, I, I enjoyed it. I think he wants you to think there is no him and yeah. there's just many hymns. Right. As we've experienced throughout this album. But this is what I called his true voice bridge just because it did sound what I imagined like his speaking voice would be. Well, I will go back to John's uh, observation in that, you know, the lyrics really do present a tale that is a lot more harrowing than the music makes that up to be. And it's a pretty ironic approach considering I described it as being more beach-oriented. And when you consider those opening uh, lyrics, I took a train down through Mexico with my father and brother Ansel. I mean, it sounds very family-friendly. Like, you're on vacation. Okay, so it's New Mexico. There's no beach, but there's sand. You know, <laughs> it's still beachy. But it, it has this... this um, family vacation feel at the same time everything goes awry and the music just stays you know stays positive no matter what and that's that's a fair approach for a satirical track i agree i think that i mean it, this kind of dichotomy is not strange to us yeah, exactly We've had it before. I mean, it's it, that's why i'm saying it's you know it's a and fair it's not... approach but i'm not i wasn't like invested in this track too much it right. was it was fairly a gloss over track but they have a lot of they have a lot of um very easy to easy to absorb or easy to to gloss over uh, filler tracks. They're not kind of things where like, all right, come on, get back to the content. You're not, you don't have that impatience. You never feel that way. Everything exactly. is still engaging, even if you're not completely pulled in. There's yeah. at least engaging moments. Um, from this track, we go, though, to my favorite one-two punch. And that first track in that one-two punch is the longest title on the record, The Ground Walks with Time in a Box. 
This was probably my favorite track on the album, but of course it's for very personal reasons. It's the funkiest track on the album, and it, it specifically sure goes back to that like mid-2000s funk indie brand that really reminded me of Franz Ferdinand. I was another band you mentioned earlier on, John, and I, I was listening to these two bands as, you know, yeah. contemporaries. As was I. Well, yeah. I actually saw both their videos in the same half-hour television show. Right. For but the first time. E- even so, it's I don't think I I can recall Modest Mouse ever getting so funky, and even no. Fran Ferdinand, which I considered funkier at the time, I think has been outdone here by this track. This this was just an all around fun track. I mean, it first of all to set aside the the core of what funk is, which is of course that bass and drum combo I referenced earlier. There is an added factor here, and that is the 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 supplement of this clicking and clanking almost every eighth note. And we were pretty sure that if, you know, that kalimba was going to make its appearance, as we observed earlier in the in the lineup of instruments, pretty sure it's here. Because I can't think what else would make that sound, except to go back to the old trope, oh, probably synth. But ah, this sounded way too acoustic, and I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And that, that, that supplement to that raw funk sound i think is what made this irresistible it is it is trapped on the dance floor i mean in, in, very often the phrases just keep on repeating themselves the ver- the the vocal phrases are like this recurring phrase barely even changes it up you know every single time it goes back it, it's the same over and over again such that there is a lot of lyrical content here he goes through so many motions meanwhile the, the it's just dancing itself away and he's caught in in the mix. And the lyrical content is the reason why it's my favorite song on the track. It's the best metaphors that I've heard in a very long time. Uh, it's beautiful imagery. Starts off, open up a window, all the air, all the air is falling out. Eyes vacuum up light, sound gets trapped by the mouth. What to do with the remainder? When the dents, the dents get hammered out. Then we've traveled through time. And we'll travel through time. This is, I mean, it is a kind of like, you know, <laughs> while you're dancing, you're thinking about the, uh, you're thinking about the, 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 the greater questions of life. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go to another verse here because this is one that fascinates me. The world composes with his shirt tails wrinkled hanging out. Bang us together. See what sort of sounds we make right now. The world plays music, playing skin on teeth inside of the mouth. What sort of sounds, what lovely sounds come about? And that is like, it's like the self-aware um, expose of the music as it's playing simultaneously. Uh, it breaks down the third wall. And fourth wall, rather. Fourth, no, well, yeah, fourth wall. Fourth wall. And this was, or I believe... fifth wall, you know, there's a time gap. This verse, I believe, was Matt's favorite, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. We're going to throw a party, all the ghosts of trees are coming out. Don't the open the directions. Don't open the directions. Wait until the light's inside of the cloud. You're going to want to see this. Don't bring your camera around. Watch sun and sawdust align. Well, what I really like about that line is that he specifically says, you're going to want to see this, don't bring your camera. Because I have a mini rant about how at every live event, all you see is flashbulbs. And while pictures have an important place in society, freaking watch the event. And the fact that this beautiful thing is happening, and he says, don't bring your camera. Experience it yourself. I love that. Also, what I really love about this track is 
see, it's funny. With, with the title, like, my brain, whenever time travel's mentioned, my brain goes to Doctor Who because it's just how I'm wired. <laughs> the, the, I go to Star Trek. It's fair. No, I mean, it happens. But what I like about this is that it's gen general enough that you could probably apply either. You could apply this from the perspective of the doctor saying these strange, quirky things. It's not that far-fetched, and I like that. Well, that you can apply your own kind of fandom to it. It's like this rant I went on last week about how music is, is, is a an exercise in art over time, over the course of time. And that's essentially what you're dealing with, with like the, the ground walks with time in a box, that being lost on the dance floor. Hence, they make it irresistibly funky, and you don't care about the time that's passing. And since there's so many cases, like I described last week, where music can sometimes be grating to the ear and you're asking a lot of your listeners, you know, come on, come on, groove along to it, you know, and very often you just end up boring them despite all your efforts. This is a case where it's the opposite. You've just trapped your listeners such that you never want the song to end. And this happens in both the verses, well, the verses exemplify it, again, because of the repeated phrases, but particularly in the, in the choruses, because right here you have this breakdown that's a much more, much more sexy. I mean, at this point, the melody starts taking on this very, very soaring uh, three, three, four, one, seven, five, and it's it's longer, it's drawing, and it sounds like there's it's doubled with uh, female vocals in the background, or again, it could just be him over himself several times. It, but it comes in almost as like that that disco chorus to bring to life the phrases, bring to life the groove. And what I love about that chorus is that, that human quality. Is it? It still adds to this kind of fantasy world I'm creating in my head. It's we stole the road, we floated in the light. We're gonna break these bones. We're gonna tra travel time. We're gonna travel time, or we're gonna oh, another phrase. We're gonna move in time. It's um, it really is is beautiful. I mean, it can't do it justice at that point. But also, it should be mentioned uh, the build up to it is is. Equally interesting, although I, because that's a fairly belated chorus. Remember, we yeah. get a lot of verses that lead up before that finally hits. So it's a lot of just being caught on the dance floor before we get that that uh, relaxing breakdown. And the transition is interesting. Um, starting off, you know, in the sort of E Dorian feel that comprises these these verses, all of a sudden we have this slow buildup of strings that just slowly get louder. Ah, uh, those those very gradually. I had to focus on those notes, even though it was so complicated underneath what well, these strings were doing. It's not terribly complicated, but it's subtle. See, first of all, there's the slow crescendo, and then by the time it reaches its peak, which is still fairly in the background, it takes on a tremolo. That's, you know, when the bow is moving really, really fast over that, and it's another real uh, disco trick, but I, I, I love it to death, because it's, it's still very applicable in all forms of funk in general. Um, and I believe they started harmonizing at this point. So not only is it tremolo, it's a tremolo in fourths that starts sliding down. And it unwinds and then lands us in that very, very soaring melodic chorus. Absolutely gorgeous. And still there's more to say about this track because the solo at the end starts taking this track to a more manic position. Now all of a sudden it starts devolving into a circus of sorts, using the oddball sound effects that occurred earlier on with the, the clinking and the clanking and the kalimba, as we guess. Uh, it, it starts to really come back here, bringing in more instruments such as the horns in a very staccato way. Um, uh, there may have even been a banjo in this track. I'm pretty sure William Slater uh, stepped in on this track playing the banjo. I mean, and then finally, I think the very end uh, concludes with like this sort of organ grinder sound. It gets so very much. chaotic, but in a very unique and interesting way. It's not, yeah. and not without its through line. 
And the whole thing, that ended up being about 30-40% of the song itself. Was just this instrumental outro. It was almost a two-part... Or interlude into outro. It was an almost two-part piece of two songs that really just married together perfectly because the the core harmonies, the core melodies really did stay the same enough, even when it was getting very chaotic, when it really, really was devolving or sidestepping what it had been doing earlier it still felt like the same song so that if you actually jump point to point to point it sounds completely different but when you hear the evolution it just comes off flawlessly this is why i i often cite form as being one of my favorite things in music because it's 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 really the one thing that is bound to take you in a new place i mean pop music as we cited last week it's just with the verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus you know it it really is just ingrained in your listener's head but if you can Take a funk track, which by all rights should be fairly stable and fairly predictable, and then just stretch it in a few ways, such as prolonging verses, repeating verses, and building up that tension, finally bringing to a chorus, and then finally with an, a prolonged uh, sort of jam, Edorian outro. It, it's That little change-up is sometimes all you need to just inspire a suspension of disbelief in your listener. Yeah, I, I really like how this track culminates too because it pretty much breaks down into almost nothing into as cacophonous as that great chaos is it breaks down into nothing and then silence and then the next track track seven coyotes which is one of my favorite tracks on the record starts with this very sweet jaunty acoustic intro and the way that the phrasing works when the lyrics kick in almost immediately his expertise with silence is mind-blowing here and it really is i like when silence is utilized and i bring it up often when it happens but it doesn't happen that often and at the end of every phrase he pauses for a beat or two and then starts the next phrase it gives this kind of whimsical waltz feel to the whole track there certainly is a waltz feel and that's why you know considering this waltz was a lot more downplayed i was surprised you used the word jaunty granted there's a light-hearted air about it but it's also very mellow um, and using that last point you made, the, the sort of that, that beat of silence or the measure of silence, a lot of times you get, you know, these four measure cycles of threes. It's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. And then there's just silence for the, for the second and third beat. And sometimes this is even further accentuated. Uh, at one point, by the end of the verse, an extra fifth measure just remains silent. So you have a second and third beat that's silent and then another one, two, three. That's just completely... Uh, completely absent. It's a breather in the phrase, and that's always, I think, um, I think, really important for just about every musician to recognize that you know, use of silence is is, is big. It allows your 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 listeners to have a breather. But at the same time, this was also done lots of times over the course of this track, and it really does have a rigid structure in this, um, in in this in this pattern. It's stuck in the same breather, the same phrase. Uh, every time it returns to it, such that, eh, I don't know, it kind of wore on me a little, as beautiful as it is. While the previous track came as a celebration and love of just life and living life and enjoying the little moments, being able to immerse yourselves in your own time, here we're seeing a little bit more accusations fly, but still it boils down to a, a, a similar idea of loving nature from the first lines coyotes tiptoe in the snow after dark at home with the ghosts in the national park we're getting some very specific imagery but imagery that's starting for me to represent a much broader idea of showing beauty in nature 
It's also followed up by the line, Mankind's behaving like some serial killers. Giant old monsters afraid of the sharks. I mean, he's calling out. That's that's exactly what that line is. What I like about the overall structure of the track, though, is it's besides having this very whimsical, waltzy feel, which I think is why I said jaunty. I think it, I was trying to describe the waltz more, so it's not as much jaunty as it just does have that waltz structure. I also like how it does lend itself to a lullaby, even though the lyrics aren't very lullaby-esque. The sound very much is. It's got this simple, gorgeous feel, and the pauses really kind of add to the feel of this kind of lullaby, dark lullaby. That's why that, that jauntiness would be only in the vein of, like, a medieval dance yeah. is jaunty. Like, come on, everybody, let's have fun. One, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um... But, here but we... I do enjoy the chord progression. I mean, the chord progression even in itself sounds very cyclical. And I'm going to get back to what John mentioned in a minute because that's important. Um, you have this sort of descending from E minor. You have e, ma- e minor, D major, to C major. And then it just goes back up to E minor, it seems. And that, that's sort of every single measure. It, it, it keeps on that cycle. Um, and gradually, the, star, the guitar steps in with this very, like, airy, reverb-drenched breakdown. So there's this, there's this cyclical and also uh, contemplative air to this track that we've seen a little bit earlier. We, see, we saw, certainly, in the first track in this album. And when you look at lines like the final refrain, and we say, we're in love with it all. And we say, we're in love with everything. And we say, what can we say? That's actually the line. What can we say? At the end of the day, well, we're in love with everything. We're in love with it all. It's almost like being in awe at existence itself. That that same lakeside analogy that I made earlier. You're sitting by the lake. Okay, perhaps you'll have a sad, a sad thought or two. But this is really honing in on the positive and being caught in the ripples of the lake. And he specifically goes more toward uh, um, animal illusions and just all, all the different observances of nature that just make him say, wow, wow. That exists, and we're part of it. <laughs> it's one of those tracks. But that's not the extent of it. The true ending and the final little jab that I love it when he throws it oh, in. Oh, yeah. And we say we're in love with all of it. And we say we're in love with everything. And we lie. Yeah. We love to lie. So he couldn't leave it out. In fact, it very much is that same concept that I mentioned earlier, that, okay, you're looking at the ripples on the lake, and then finally it's like everyone's going to die. In this case, he's concerned with lying, and it's like, well, with it, with it, within every canvas of beauty, there is always this, like, this speck of ugliness. Well, it also goes back to what we were talking about with the Decemberists. I might as well connect it to that, and how, you know, what a, what a terrible world, what a beautiful world, or the other way around. But it's that idea of within everything beautiful, there's also terror and tragedy, because, you know, there's two sides to every coin. Mm-hmm. Um, I like these tracks paired together. I think... Also, a good example of that why they work too, so well together is because your favorite track is the first one. Me and John seem to lead more towards Coyotes as our favorite. But the, the cost- Oh, no, no. I, I won't divide between the two. Oh, you like them both. I will not And then so me and Steve are on the other side of it. This is a good example of how we can prove that they are a perfect pair because we, the, the, the difference in opinion from one to the other <laughs> and then the middle ground between us. Crash Chords is balanced. Um, well, the whole idea of what they're working with here between these two tracks... It's not really any different than other ideas. It's just a different presentation. This is a theme they'd like to pursue quite often. It usually ends up being my favorite songs on an album. Uh, back in Good News, the song The View uh, has the line, 
as life gets longer, awful feels softer. Well, it feels pretty soft to me. And if it takes shit to make bliss, well, I feel pretty blissfully. Hmm. I mean, this yeah. this just back and forth. This, like I said before, the manic wisdom that he likes to throw in these songs, the just the philosophical metaphors. This is what draws me to songs like Coyote. This is what draws me to songs like The Groundwalks. It's such an inherent character of the band and of Isaac's writing. It's it's so beautiful to be able to dissect these words and see the extra meanings or the the jabs or the laughter that he puts in these phrases. You know, I'm 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 sure that we we're only at a very uh a very minor taste barrier here. I mean, yeah, artistic absolutely. justification is 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 everywhere in this track and I even though I may have found the 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 three the cycle of three to be a little bit repetitive, it it absolutely makes sense when you consider that um that sort of contemplative feel and then the 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 speck of sadness at the end uh it's actually kind of out of a character for us because i usually tend to lean more toward the 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 sort of inward contemplative tracks but and i the, tend to like the more dancey pop almost or funky but then tracks. as we know there's that one big exception with me and that always is funk, funk. so yeah. funk can funk can supersede everything apparently for you it's, at it's, least it's, it's the um it's the wild card That's there you go is. But yeah, I, I like also the fact that the thing, I mean, also the thing that you think was repetitive is the thing that I think gave the song its power, and there's that, that silence, that space. Fair enough. And that'll be factored at the end here. Let's go into track eight, Pups to Dust. So this, immediately we get a great intro guitar riff. It's kind of a galloping percussion to back it. It gives the song a very sway-worthy kind of sweet feel from the get-go. Um, I, I really like how conversational the lyrics are also in this track. From the minute he starts singing, it's it's very much almost like he's chatting with you. It's got a very sweet kind of nice feel. Now, while the song's content, if I'm going to guess, probably isn't as sweet. That's well, my impression. This no. is this track that actually had me in more of the zone, I think, that you were in in the previous track. This is what pushed me toward the more contemplative side, because it was the perfect slow jam. I mean... Starting off with that opening guitar line, we very subtly add in bass right after that, and when it kicks in, what a great bass line it is. But the main riff in, in the verse is, is certainly my favorite. We're in E minor again, and this time it's just that sort of 7715, 7715, over and over. That's the guitar, uh, the melodic motif that really, really keeps this going. Um, cycle, cycling before, uh, back and forth between E minor and D minor. It's It's... I don't know. There's something about this tone that had me, even though it may not have really reached the same like those same peaks as previous tracks. I think this is more the place that I want to be. And here we're getting. This is one of the few times I will say that their choice of content kind of matches to the music itself. They like to be at odds, but here we're just getting a, a, a spout of introspective wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's all about just the things he's learned and the. Ideas are very familiar, but the phrasing is so nice. Lines like, the way we feel about what we do is by who has watched us so. From birth to grave, I couldn't see so clearly what I was or became. It's just the way he phrases is so important that I was going back and going, oh, did I hear that right? Yeah, whoa. Oh, did I hear that right? On my first few listens, I had to make sure I was reading along with these lyrics. This is one I looked up right away, and I don't usually do that when listening to music. You know, this is the kind. These are the kind of lyrics that I would love to posthumously read from an artist to really get an insight into 
perhaps where they were psychologically or what built their art. Now, granted, he ain't dead yet, but, you know, you read some of these lines, Honest to God, I was honest as hell. I don't lie very often, but I lie very well. Give it away, take what you need. Love does not cost money, but it ain't free. This is this 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 bitter, not bitter, but it, it certainly is a, a very um, tempered, tempered, yes, a tempered analysis of what of what life consists of and all the ups and downs and sometimes just the the you know well a lot of people just reel in at the end and say well that's life you know it doesn't matter in the end how much you try sometimes things will not always work out the way you planned or the way we the idealism would have it what i also really like about the lyrics in this song is that they're the song also doesn't completely take itself so seriously with lines like from birth to grave i couldn't see so clearly what i was or become Oh, I missed a spot. Scrubba, scrubba, scrubba. <laughs> oh, my dirty thoughts. Like, and it makes me well, laugh because it's so very silly in the well, way it's, it's presented. It adds to that manic feel of how they deliver all of their content. There's they kind also of go all over the place. The bit. back and forth that they like to do, that yeah. Isaac likes to do. We remain the same. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Or pretty much the same. Now that's more like it. Yeah, uh-huh. it's little he things like that. He created the dialogue There's, with himself. It's there. It, anything that's morbid in their music still has laughter involved. It's everything is just dripping with irony. It's what makes this worth listening to because it's not even taking itself seriously. Mm-hmm. We're not completely seriously. It means that while it's friendly advice, it's not something that you're supposed to live your life by. It's not something that's so concrete as to be a command, which makes it hard to receive as an individual. Here, because it's making fun of itself, you can better understand it. I concur 100% with that. Um, On the musical front, I will say that I think the the emotional soul of this song was a lot stronger in the verses than it was in the choruses. The choruses uh, and the bridge, despite being, I think, fuller, I do certainly like the horns in the background. I mean, they just had me a little bit less. Maybe because the 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 riff was was transplanted. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but there was just something about that disparity. It's just like, oh come on, get back to the get back to the verse because that 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 um that motif, that guitar motif, was just so strong. There were also a couple of moments here, like for instance, there's this very bizarre keyboard interlude, uh, with like. Pitch bending all With over the place. Space keyboards. Sure, whatever. However it, you see it, I'm not so sure it fit in the end. It seemed a little odd. It I was. Didn't... It was quirky. There's a lot of things in this album that are quirky, but I, you know, I think I'm I'm at I'm at liberty at some point to get a little bit particular about you know what works and what doesn't. And it was a little bit of an interruption, I thought. Yeah, it was a little odd. I thought it did draw my attention, which I didn't really yeah. want my attention drawn in this song. I but, did how like how later though when they get back to the courses and the verses towards the end of the song, there's a female harmony that comes in that sounds really beautiful. She was beautiful. It was very beautiful having Certainly. them complimenting each other, and once again, sort of. She was off doing her own little thing at the same time, even though it was working in tandem with his vocals. It's uh, it's something I'm I'm familiar with in music itself, but it's hard to pull off without one really hitting you much harder than the other. I also very much enjoyed the outro as a as a little flip side. The outro was a nice little jam of sorts. You had these little uh these little inserts of like staccato strings. It almost sounded like, although that could have just been a little. Uh, synth insert. Either way, it, it, it sounded beautiful. Yes. Um, I think all in all we're in agreement, though, that this track was was in its full... Large, stri- largely a success. Yes. Um, from here we go to Sugar Boats, which the one way I describe it from the moment it starts is a twisted 
carnival, a cacophony of sounds in a good way that just makes you feel like you're in the middle of a carnival in American Horror Story. Well, in the very beginning, you get kind of this honky-tonk piano feel, and it starts mm-hmm. descending chromatically as we as we go back to E minor again. And that's something I noticed, that, that they really have a, a, a penchant for E minor on this album. They just, yeah. they, they stick there, but because their texture's so wildly different in each and every track, you barely even notice it. But, you know, it kind of lets them reinvent the same, the same key. Uh, but also this really, after the honky-tonk section, has kind of an oompa feel. Yeah. It, and it, it's hard to make oompa cool, and it, they made oompa cool. Yeah. It, it, what I like about this track structurally, though, is that it starts with this twisted carnival sound, and then when it builds to the chorus, it really rocks out. It lets loose a bit. And it builds in a way that I hadn't really heard any of the other tracks on this album build before. It even His singing even gets really frenetic and kind of crazy as he's singing these choruses. And I like this kind of let loose feel, kind of like, you know, letting this kind of evil out because it does have a kind of evilish air. It's kind of it's, interesting. It's like almost kind of running hand in hand with the devil almost kind of a thing. Yeah, there's a slight macabre feel, but... You know, I, I got another comparison for you. This is, you well, you mentioned it sounded like a twisted carnival, and I kind of got this a little bit of this bayou feel. Like, yeah. all right, it's down there. Satchmo was playing trumpet in the background. It almost sounded like that. That was definitely the trumpets that were lending to that feel. But at the same time, the the descending guitar, the descending electric car uh, guitar that was at the end of a lot of statements. It took away from that for me. It 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 separated it back I into a different same. level. I felt the same. The guitar interlude was was kind of weighted, and I don't know if it really fit. Um, or rather, I just didn't enjoy it as much as, you know, okay, settle on your story. If you're going to sort of pursue that carnival feel, then I'm just not sure the, the guitar really helped it. It kind of, it, 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 it pulled it away from that. And I don't think it was pulling it toward anything else. So, you know, it just struck me as another soundbite. Mostly, they're pretty... They're pretty on point with, you know, what they want to use, exactly where they want it. Um, but I don't know. That was just a little bit of a... Every once in a while, they go overboard. That's that's my only claim. Well, one thing I did really enjoy, even though it was kind of overboard, was the nearly drunk piano work that ends up being a major component of this mm-hmm. song. Uh, there's no other way to describe it. And while there's a lot of times in this album, I would say drunk is how the voice sounds, it's weird to have the piano paralleling it in 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 this instance but it worked very well for me it worked great to uh, kind of punctuate the undertones that the song was doing my favorite instrument was the trumpet for sure and it really took off in the final jam the final stretch of this track i think was my favorite part because it's 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 exactly the kind of you know umpag groove that you want to just sort of play out in, into the end. You know, they could have gotten with, with fading this out, even though we tend to have a little bit of a, a bias against, you know, fade outs. Th- this didn't fade out, but it could have. It really could have. When that trumpet steps in here, I described it earlier as being kind of like you know, the Satchmo trumpet. I mean, it enters in with this raised sixth, so you really get that Dorian feel. It's like six, seven, six, five, and then at that point, I, I, I even thought of another uh, major influence of mine, Beirut. Beirut is a is a fairly contemporary band. At the same time, they play lots of like what's been described as baroque pop. It sounds very uh, Baltic, and and it sounds like that the kind of trumpet melody that might be played by that, for instance. So you feel a lot of back and forth between this like Baltic feel and this jazz feel, also this umpa feel, and it it really comes together as the perfect jam that I think Modest Mouse is is adept at doing. It's it's really more of the build up to this that left me question. Left me with a question mark, but I was satisfied where I 
where I landed. I think for me as a whole with the song, I was able to forgive some of that stuff because of how energetic it was. I just kind of got swept up in the movement of it. And while I noticed those things, especially now that you point them out, I think I forgave a lot of it because it just had that energy that kept me going from start to finish. And when it culminated in that jam, it really solidified the track as a whole. Um, track 10 to follow up is Wicked Campaign. Um, <laughs> when I first heard it, I got a really strong kind of killers, almost arena rock feel. I mean, not as cheesy arena rock, but definitely the bigger moments of killers towards the latter part what of the career. We refer to today, I suppose, as a kind of anthemic pop. You know, yeah, it's not arena, definitely. but it's certainly going to be played in a stadium. That um, said, though, the setting of the song was very airy and open. It gave me almost a float-on kind of vibe, even though it's not identical to that song. It definitely could be a sister song. It's very anthemic and very B-flat major. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot of just, like, you know, major, major, major happy. At the same time, it's a little more laid back, certainly just in tone. It's not what the, the, the fun-filled jam that we just left was. This is... This has more of a claim, and in the sense, I also get that that beach side feel that we have in in track two, and I forget it was another point earlier in this album. We also got that beach side feel, so it's like they keep, they keep are they're anchored back here at times, like almost the sounds of a tropical island, and all the islanders just came to like help out with the drum work. The slow phrases did come off for me a little bit sleazy, a little bit. Just uh, well, he a uses bit his, greasy. He uses his baritone here again. Uh, this is another instance where I would compare it to that uh, uh, TV on the radio, uh Dada Bimpe or Future Islands. Um, I get that feel again. And I guess it's been a few tracks since he's really like hit those tones. So, appropriate. My biggest problem with this track, I think, is this is the first time where I'm really starting to get a predictable sense. As we said, it's very anthemic in the vein of fun, which we like to bag on, but the truth is fun has kind of mastered the generic anthemic sound, and there's a little bit of that in this. It's not as bad as fun, but I definitely see where it's going, and it feels a lot more regular than any of the tracks that came before it. I would say that for the theme of this track, for the actual content of this track, it's somewhat appropriate because... In a, a weird term, because they don't normally do this, or they they velvet, uh, they veil it a lot more dramatically. That's because he's veiled. So I learned my face, but I forgot my name. I'm gonna wear this smile like it's some stupid toupee, and I say, "Oh, that's too bad." Oh, I just learned your face, but it is bound to change. I mean, yeah, there's he's a veil. He's talking politics, and it's kind of clear cut. He's actually talking about politicians. So for it to be. So it's not him, you see this as him taking on another character. Yeah, well, I see many of his songs as being separate characters. Sure. Here, I mean, if you want to be a little bit more generic, I guess that's kind of good, considering what he's talking about. Yeah, and I get that, but, you know, artistic... Forgiving something for taking an artistic direction only goes so far. And We had way too many instances of this last week, and yeah, yeah, our, our threshold for it really boils down to the fact that you need to give us something concrete first. Yeah. That, that thing can be um, a-traditional, you yeah. know, but it, the second you start really falling into a habit, and especially if it's someone else's habit in order to make your point, then it's just, it ruins the point, because there there very well could have been quite a lot of potential here, lyrically. Yeah. I, that's not saying that it's 
you know, a bad song. I still found it to be very catchy. I found it to be one of the better types of pop-oriented music. Again, like I said, it's anthemic, but it even though it was predictable, it's something we've heard before. And it's it good is anthemic. Yeah, it's just I wanted something more. I didn't want... If to get anthemic, I also wanted something a little bit beyond it. It's also good to have some breathers in this album as well. And, I mean, not every song has to be out there esoteric and pushing boundaries. Sometimes True. you just need to be able to just stop, sit back and just enjoy something because it's a little more candy-coated. Yeah, it's just... I, I That's my defense of it. I'm not saying it's a great song. It's definitely one of the lower songs on this, on this album. Uh, might I, be, I, might yeah. be the overall, quote, worst musically, or at least least inventive musically. Yeah. But it's, that's definitely, like, it's definitely the filler track. Um, that well, record. maybe they, it wasn't intended that way, but that's how I see it. Like Truth how I, re- told, I referred well, to earlier filler tracks as as really having more of a soul, despite that they may not be the the crux. This is definitely one where I, I do feel like I'm waiting for it to end. But that said, it's track ten, and we're getting a filler track. I'm kind of okay with that. Fair enough. And I will make an artistic argument about it. So there's that. Okay. Okay. Track eleven. Be brave. So this this one from the get-go is kind of rocking back and forth. It's kind of, you know, got another sway, but a little bit of a heavier sway than earlier tracks a did. A heavier sway, certainly. It's another groove that really reminded me of Black Heart Procession. Um, heavy in B minor. It has this kind of minor bluesy 6-8 feel. We get the, this repetitive chorus of be brave, be brave, be brave. Feels very manic, and this is the. It's felt manic before, but this is where it feels very manic. It's kind of like I said, rocking back and forth. The phrases and the way it comes back together is that manic idea does come off as kind of scared. It's yeah. it, it's not as confident as uh previous sounds and this is great for the the way he's trying to to get across this idea of a combination of fear and fighting against it the the chorus is nicely punctuated and a little bit on the lighter side in fact a lot on the lighter side so sort of like identifying that moment where you actually capture this courage that aha kind of a moment where you can stop being so afraid or just so spineless not necessarily fear is being portrayed here but there is just a lack of just effort on the main character confidence confidence it's a lack of confidence and it's just you know it's a little contemplative too like dwelling on this fact that you need to be brave we won't fail we won't fail we won't fail we just can't fail we fight it, we fight it, we fight it today. There's a lot of repetition here. I like the repetition. It he's works one of those, in the context. Well, he, as we said before, he's one of those singers that he adds enough character into his singing that even if he repeats stuff, it's not truly the same. He adds more to it every time he says it, whether it gets more frenetic or more crazy or romantic or more smooth. Or, or more, maybe it's exactly the same and it just makes the point even better than what it was. Emphasis. Repetition for emphasis. Yes. There's also a part of this track that I found very mystical in a sense. I don't know. It was a kind of... This time, musically, it really hammered home the mystical aside, mm-hmm. as opposed to that just being present lyrically or that just being inferred. I think this this had a very soft and soothing side to it, that it's another track that I felt like could have gone on for quite a while. It wouldn't bother me. Yeah, it, it definitely conveys that. I agree. From here, we go to the shortest track on the record and probably one of the best titled tracks. God is an Indian, and you're an asshole. <laughs> um... 
This is sort of a two-step, and interestingly, it has the emphasis really on that two, so it's one, two, one, two. Yep. Um, it's country folk kind of sound. It's funny. I mean, the lyrics are pretty much, God is an Indian, and you're an asshole. It's Get the on only, your horse and ride. Yeah. It's uh, the only song not written by Isaac Brock. This one was actually written by Jeremiah Green. Okay. Um, still sung by Isaac. It's... It's just one of those points they kind of have to make on every album. It's 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 modest mouse. They well, have to just say Matt something and be mean. Matt mentioned folk, um, and I do kind of get that from the vocals themselves. They step in to sort of loosely sing as if around a campfire, but then, considering this is such a short track, quickly everything just drops out, and you're left with a very rural, you know, yep. drum. And vocals. And that's all you're left with. It's just those those two things. And it kind of just fades out on that. Yeah. And that's and it's, really it. It repeats itself, so it's catchy enough. I mean, it gets stuck in your head. I mean, it's and it's fun. It's really fun to sing. The only change say. up here, in fact, as opposed to God is an asshole and you're an ass. Oh, excuse me. God. <laughs> what? <laughs> excuse me. Nice. God is an Indian and you're an asshole. Get on your horse and ride. This time they do get on your horse and ride. God is an Indian and you're some asshole. Like they need to hammer that home that you're really an asshole and God is an Indian. I mean, okay, look. If the point is clear enough, are they just saying that, well, we, we took away the land, and of course, that's the asshole. It turned out that was God. Yeah. And I thus, mean, you really are an asshole because no, 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 you just took away that. heaven. It's just the idea of what it really boils down to. Uh, they don't like what people do to the world. Okay. And the people yeah. that in the world that personified the best in combination of nature and humanity would have been the Native Americans yeah, that's before white settlers showed up and effed everything up. And that's blah, exactly blah, blah. what I'm saying. But it, he's not saying that be Indian. It's more like nowadays people are assholes. Yeah. Just everyone's an asshole. Yeah. There's, I mean, that's a running theme in their music. Look, I appreciate at least the fact that this was just like, you know, a one shot. If that's really yeah. the thing, you know, you, know you, you go in too deep with this stuff and it starts getting a little bit preachy. But it's like, as, as, a, as a matter of course, you know, that really does define the point in, 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 it, in perfect simplicity. Yeah, it definitely it just hammers it home yeah. very simply. It doesn't stick with you, you know, you don't have to sit there and be like, wow, I'm a horrible person. You know, it's just... It's there, and it's gone. And it fades away, probably, well, sadly, much as the Indians did. If we're trying to hammer Ouch. home a deeper point, because I'm going to move on, the next track does that a lot better. So, The Tortoise and The Tourist, this is a man versus nature song, pretty much making man the asshole, which is typically the case anyway. And this is a much more in-depth version of Coyote. Here, it's... Presented a little bit differently. It's more aggressive, for sure, lyrically. And it, vocally, it's a lot whinier with that heavy punctuation instead of the 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 easy lullaby effect that Coyote had. Well, it, it's a little bit more indie. I think this yeah. is also kind of back to the standard uh, creamy center of what what Modest Mouse usually does. But it agreed. It's a little bit. It's a little bit darker. It's got this B minor feel to it. I called it a fractured fairy tale. I really liked. I like that. It's a, it, I actually borrowed that from Bullwinkle, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. They used to call the fairy tale shorts in between Rocky and Bullwinkle oh, fractured I fairy tales. Oh, I, I remember that. Now you jog and, my memory. And so what I really like is that it, it's he's na a narrator now. He's telling a story, and I like the way he's conveying the story, but it does have a darker edge. There was this tortoise. Its shell was covered with jewels, and it had been since time began. 
It knew the world through all its histories, and the universe and its mysteries. One day I came across a man, the two were talking. The tortoise offered to tell him about the future and how the universe ran. Oh, the man killed the tortoise, took his shell, and with a song on his lips walked off again. So there, did the, the being that understands the universe gets killed by mankind for the jewels and short-term riches it represents. Yeah. Well, damn. Yeah, it's fairly accurate. That's pretty on the nose. Yeah, but, but I like the way that he conveys it in this very fable kind of story told larger than life uh, structure. It, it really does add an ambiance to the track that I really enjoy. Um, if I had, I gotta be the naysayer here. Granted, I think all that is beautiful. I think it's a lovely concept. It's only because at the tail end of this album, I found myself just finding that that, that creamy middle sound of theirs, which is very non-confrontational and very modest mouse, um, when they just want to give you a good song, I, I don't find it as, as impactful. I think it was more of like, okay, this is, this is what they do. It would be more of like if we just got a Modest Mouse album as opposed to something that really experiments. And it's, it really has experimented up to this point. I'm not putting down the album by any stretch. It's, it's I think, exceeded uh, anybody with an eight-year expectation of what Modest Mouse album was going to be. At this point, it starts really settling in that, in that framework. I mean, the main shtick here was that just use heavy distortion. Just go a little bit full, full blown. It had a warped kind of sound. It was also really the, it was also the rhythm, the sort of like one e and a two e, one e and a two e, one e and you know that's um I think it was fairly quick, and also this wailing like bendy guitar pattern that was I think the 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 one of the more unique factors here is that every time every single time the the note strikes every time that guitar note strikes then it bends up right after that and does this at an extremely fast pace. I had returned to that a few times throughout this track. Maybe, uh, I think it was at the beginning of the choruses. I'm not 100% sure, but um, that, that was really it. That was like the, the one moment I could really latch on to. The rest is more like, all right, did the lyrics hit you or not? Yeah, I think it really you had to join, get attached to that story to really get anywhere with this track. All right, so let's move on to track 14, The Best Room. This was a similar style for me, I'm gonna say, although a little bit more lighter in tone. It's it's not as it's not as as heavy or or uh, um, it it really doesn't have a dissertation to it. I don't think. No, and as it gets much. right. What I liked about this song also is it kind of gets right into it immediately when it starts. There's singing, there's guitar, like there's no. And it's a little bit ambling. funkier. It's a little bit funkier. It definitely gets back to that kind of mid two thousands indie funk sound. The vocals are are looser to go along with that. Um, it's got a solid groove. I like the way it moves and progresses. It's nothing too crazy. It, it stays pretty even throughout. It's a solid groove. I think that's fair to say. Just leave it at a solid groove. It's it's not that that funk groove that you know hit me in the same you know mind blow that uh, that track six did. Yeah. But you know I I enjoyed it. It's another again I kind of put it in the same ballpark as the previous track. They did have many sections where things kind of receded, but certain parts were a little bit longer than others. Um, we did have another jam in E, for instance, a lot back and forth between E and A, E and A. Um, what I liked about that jam is that it, at one point the percussionist was also banging on trash cans and other yep. objects that weren't drums, which added a more boisterous sound that I really enjoyed. We have <clears throat> we have lots of lots of things to I think highlight. Great solos, great comping. The really the only comment I have is that it's just a little bit less memorable at this point. Mm -hmm. This is one of those tracks that just proves, look, they're great musicians. It just serves like they could churn out probably a billion of these tracks and it'll all be <coughs> listenable. It's just um 
it's just confronted by the fact that they built up the album so highly with so much diversity that by contrast this only appears as a little bit of a downer to my ears yeah and i mean lyrically it doesn't really stand out that much no, to me refuting that right away okay the whole song is a con uh, commentary on the fact that humanity is now very much involved with the idea of information video games television all that sort of stuff being on the internet being in front of a screen all the things that so many naysayers are out there going blah 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 I, to be clear before i was making the claim that musically it does it is not much of a dissertation it doesn't yeah. feel like it has a dissertation but certainly when you look at the lyrical content he's got a point for everything and yeah. a lot of times he goes in depth yeah no, that's and that's a does, fair point the best room they have is the last room you want. The bathroom's outside. The police tape is tied to the doorknobs of rooms 9 through 32. These Western concerns we beg while we chew. A little veiled. Good In fact, poetry. a lot of veiled. Great poetry. Yeah. But the things that he's talking about, all the playgrounds where them kids don't get to play, dirty parkies went and chased them all away to the game consoles to fatten just come on i mean yeah it's no pretty that's actually nose. a really great verse and then some of the the, the back and forth that i that mentioned earlier in previous tracks go reckless unharmed yup the shut-ins they're well armed well we all led the charge till we ran around in our party barge every little gift was just one more part of their gift oh yeah we know it oh yeah we know it that whole the shut-ins they're well armed a lot of ideas are hammering home the, the just the concept of go outside because inside, yes, the quote best room ain't. It's lending the the antithesis of what the best room should be in your house. What the best room should actually be is outside. Shall is we... enjoying life. Is enjoying the world. It is a strong a, lyrically. It is a lot stronger than I had realized, and there is definitely a message here. Lyrically, I... we've had enough tracks at this point that I think the overall message is not really lost on us. Yeah. The overall concept of the album, "Stranger to Ourselves," is this doubtfulness that we're really like in touch with ourselves. Right. You know the, that, that concept, you don't even like know get yourself. outdoors. You know, go breathe go to nature you know we have this so much do out a there. thing do go a, do a thing do a thing exactly it's the old you know a lot of this has been a a theme i think in in songwriting and poetry and just general social criticism for a pretty long time because well we're the internet generation or the gamer generation and well before us was the tv generation and you know it was the boob tube and that was what was keeping you from truly enjoying life um Prior to that, we assumed that maybe people didn't have these problems, but even that is really not true, considering yeah. that there were a lot of um, there were a lot of people that went under the guise of just being an invalid or they stay indoors. You know, Emily Dickinson never left her house, I think, for like twenty years. Yet she still wrote a lot, lot of great material. It's still like much of it was very, 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 very longing, very, very like finding connections in certain places, and it's yeah. like. At some point, you need to be a part of it as opposed to just visualize it. And it's ironic that we're actually getting a visualization and a kind of like um, on paper account of all the things there are to do and all the things there are to see, while at the same time, it's, it's advocating to not, not just do that. Yeah, to do more. Yeah. Track 15, the final track of the record, Of Course We Know. So... This this song, I got a sense of, it feels more like a... It, it's closer to the 90s, actually. It has a blur or Radiohead kind of sound. It's a little more stripped down in the verses. But it still has that character vocally that I don't mind. It's a familiar home spot musically. 
it's it's not quite a lullaby but very familiar in that same sort of sense it's meant to ease you it's meant to be open and it's a good way just right off the bat it's a good way actually probably a great way to end an album is to really try to be all-encompassing and accepting it's also a little bit tropey a little bit yeah i mean the, the, there were no surprises in this track i mean it had a lot of heart and it really did reel me in but there was nothing really unexpected about it um the only thing that was fairly unexpected was i think the longer cycles of chord progressions oh, yeah. which um can can be a back and forth deal you know sometimes it's easy in doing that to lose your center to lose your <laughs> home uh and it, it makes it sound like it's very meandering um and I do think there's a, there's a lot of cheekiness in, in the title and in these lyrics, you know, like, well, <laughs> we're meandering because, of course, we really don't know. But the claim is that we know. Well, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, we just do not know. That's the, He claims that at some point. <clears throat> what in hell are we here for? What just do... We just do not know. Lay, Lord, lay down, Lord, lay down, Lord, lay down your own damn soul. And repeats that endlessly. The end is like cotton that we wear wherever we go, covered up by this. Why would we ever want to try on your clothes? Well, of course, of course, of course, of course, we just do not know. Interestingly, the title is, is of course, we, we know. I, I misspoke. I mean, the claim, well, at, at the, it the immediately track, steps away from that. Well, at the end of the track, it says, of course, right we know. Right before returning to it. Yeah. Um, at that end of the it's track. A, it's a humility as a whole as I yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. And it has a very cliche piano outro, but yeah. I really don't know any other way they could have done it i mean any way they had ended this song would have been quote a cliche a trope i mean it really shows it's back to my chord progression comment that they're really (laughs) excellent i think at building off of chords and making the most out of their progressions um even if those progressions sometimes seem fairly regular and sometimes even if they meander they can always add like their comping is always stellar as i said their solos are always stellar there's always this constant way to 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 reinvent that and and make you i would i would argue not bored although i do understand that i think in in comparison to the earlier tracks we're we're learning that this is a a, a top heavy album but only marginally they settled on something because their 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 point was winding down or rather that the the point they're trying to make is is the kind of thing that doesn't have a climactic ending there is no climactic ending to that. It is what it is, and it's one of those kind of albums. And truthfully, um, not every ending has to be climactic. Sometimes things just end. Yes. And In fact, I was... feel like that's an appropriate way to end this, is an end with kind of a question mark. And we made a comment earlier, or I made the comment earlier, that theme sometimes will override being climactic. Yeah. That, yeah, we got a guitar uh, a riff that had so much potential, but thematically you can't climax with it. Because it would have hurt the actual story of the song. So, you know what? They're staying true to their art. They're staying true to the theme and the arc that they've built in this album. That, we, if you haven't gleaned by now, I think we kind of explained it. That Strangers to Ourselves, that's exactly what they're talking about. And I think they do a pretty damn good job of, of explaining what that means. So, I think this is a great place to wrap up this in track length and actually in time length a longer album that feels long but not in a bad way it feels its length in the fact that you really get into it and go through it and absorb it um strangers to ourselves by modest mouse i mean this is the 
this is the first time I've heard one of their records as it's come out. I always had gotten to their stuff pretty late. Like I said, the last record was the record that I got into them with and then went backwards. Um, but it overall, I mean, first of all, as a whole, the arc is solid, um, hands down. I mean, we made that pretty clear. We made the the theme also is very solid. I think what I like about this band as a whole is I really connect with the singer. Like I said back in the podcast where we reviewed Blocktober, which was... Oh, Blocktober was episode 59. Their um, album Sway. I talked about how I really identify with a strong singer. And like Justin Furstenfeld, I feel that Isaac is a very emotive and, con- and erratic singer that you can connect with. Highs and lows all over the place. He gets steady at moments, but he kind of throws you for a loop later. There's, it's just the whole album is kind of all over a map, all over the map in a good way. But I really enjoyed it, even if I didn't hone in on lyrics in certain songs and I honed in more on the music. There really wasn't any moment where I, well, first of all, easy to say, there was no moment that I did not enjoy at all. There was no moment where I sat here and went, "This is terrible. Please stop." Even the weird song, "Pistol." Yes, we got enough of that last week. I was content to be happy with this one. That said, though, there were moments that were standoutish for good or odd reasons, like Pistol, which did stand out. But like Steve said, <laughs> considering the structure of the album as a whole, it's not that odd, especially considering we know that Modest Mouth does like to try different things. So it's not that unbelievable that they tried something so different. <laughs> um, the ultimate pair of uh, of the Ground Walks and Coyotes, I mean, I'm in love with those two songs together. In fact, that's a situation where I don't know that I could listen to those songs separately. I mean, I guess I could, but they really work so well together. I would always love to hear them in the structure of the album. And the album as a whole, from track to track, really does transition and blend really well. Even in those moments that shock you, I think it's appropriate in the moments where they come up. Um, again, the only real song that I kind of got a little bored with was... Um, Wicked Campaign, and again, it's only because it was predictably anthemic, but again, it wasn't bad. We say a lot, it's, you know, it's not bad, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I need to really paraphrase or justify anything on this record. We were pretty clear in our wrap-up, I think, I mean, in our review, so the wrap-up will be on the shorter side. It's a 4.75. It's close to a 5, but it's not a 5. The reason I'm ranking it point, point ten, point ten higher than D'Angelo's album, which is point one, a uh, point one rather. The zeros don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, point one higher than D'Angelo's album is because D'Angelo's album was very technical and very ta- talent-wise was very good, but for me personally, I didn't like it as much as this record. So it's honestly getting a point one for enjoyment level. There was never a moment that I. W- was taken out of the record or that I didn't like even if there were things I liked less so that's where it sits for me 4.75 the highest of the year for me so far okay I think it's interesting that you brought up Black Messiah um only because yeah it was an album in recent memory we reviewed that in episode 128 it was doing I think things that were like drastically new throughout that album but I'm inclined to agree with you I think I really did enjoy this a little bit more um you know, maybe it was a more familiar style, and it's sometimes, you know, it was less it was less sporadic. It really had this grounded uh, intention to keep their listener with you at every step of the way. 
I think that's what Modest Mouse has always done. It's like, yes, they have this quirky style, so they're a little bit, you know, out of the norm, but at the same time, they always keep it down to just one of two things. Either they're going to be really, really fun, or they're going to be really, really emotional at, at what points. You know, granted, maybe that's not the reasons that people originally went to them for. Their singles are almost constantly the ones that are just outlandish and, and, and uh, funky or catchy or one of the above. Um... But yeah, I think this album really isn't is a true advancement of their career. It shows that they have the capacity to do a lot more than maybe what people, you know, gave them credit for. Uh, for instance, the compositional styles. Of course, they always, you know, had uh, a, a large variety of instruments. But, you know, I don't think I ever really thought like, wow, they're great composers. And that's something that really should be mentioned when you're talking about a rock band, because then it, 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 it delivers you both at once. And it's very, very important um, because you don't want to lose one or the other. If you deliver a pop track but you lack compositional, then it's very easy for it to get samey, for it to get repetitive and ultimately predictable. But with fluid composition, you can make even the simplest groove interesting. And considering this was a fairly long album, 15 tracks, yeah, I, I strained to find a, a too many holes. The, it, the holes existed exactly where I originally claimed, and that is sort of toward the end, where they settled us in a fairly stable, you know, yeah, that's the way I recognize Modest Mouse, and that's what they do. But there was an artistic justification behind that, and you know what, by that point, you're already really just soul on the album as a whole. There's Every every track is giving you something different, and I don't think you're you're settled on a sound until then. All the while... You know, I got a really great funk track, easily my favorite. I got a great intro. I think I'm going to go with your reasoning, Matt. I do believe this is a little bit ahead of D'Angelo and the Vanguard, and I may very well lower D'Angelo and the Vanguard, I think, in my urine rating, because we were very in love with the concept, but I do think it got a little bit sporadic at times and kept you at arm's distance in certain points. So my rating of a 4.65 may have been a little bit high. Um, that said, I think I'm going to keep this at a solid 4.7. So it's still above no matter how much I, I lowered that album, but perhaps not with the same fluidity as I found on a very early album that we reviewed uh, Ben Folds 5's The Sound of Life of the Mind which seemed to, I think, pack more of a consistent soul throughout, which I only am separated by a, a, a 0.5 difference. That was a true 4.75 for me. Modest Mouse is made up of a bunch of crazy mother effers. That's the easiest way to describe them. Because they do things that, well, you'd look at in hindsight sound great, but honestly, I wouldn't want to be the guy... The first heard the pitch on on this album that was for, well maybe not this album but the first album that one album that started them on this path that led to this moment that led to them releasing this album because frankly the the idea of well let's take an accordion some violins throw it in a rock bed setting and then talk about nonsensical things that i spout from my mouth as they come to my mind that's what it sounds like they decided to do that's what isaac's sound did and it works. It works so well. And it keeps working and they keep evolving. But here, Strangers to Ourselves, I don't think is so much of an evolution from their previous albums. 
it's very reminiscent of um, the last album, We Were Dead Before the Ship Ever Sank, which was pretty much a slight evolution on good news for people who love bad news. So they have progressively gotten better. An eight-year hiatus means maybe they have not gone the full distance. Maybe they were more getting in touch with themselves, which is why the last few tracks ended up just sounding like their normal fare. But their normal fare is leaps and bounds ahead of so many other individuals. It is definitely not one of the herd. They're, they may never be a trendsetter. They may not ever be the ones that people copy off of, but they have their own unique ideas and they stick with it and they know how to express those ideas. And the thing that will always draw me back, because while this is not some virtuosic jazz piece, this is not some amazing instrumental piece that really pushes the boundaries. This is not God Sticks. I mean, this is not uh, Scale the Summit. We're not getting something that is just harmonically a monstrosity that driving on nails. But his voice, Isaac's voice, is something I will never get tired of because of the four or five different voices he has. The, the different levels and the different personalities he can put from verse to chorus or line by line or throw in a bridge and all of a sudden he's sultry or he's manic. I'm right along with you guys, but I'm going to... I'm, I'm 4.75. It really is just a monster of an album. I would have said 5, but I know I'd be only saying that because I love Modest, Modest Mouse. Mouse. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of where why I kept it where I kept it also, because I feel like I put myself in dangerous St. Vincent territory where I gave that a 5 and then heard it and polite and went, well, fuck. Yeah, I think Modest Mouse is a good anytime yeah. band. Yeah, that's true too. Well, because they're so all over the place, I think they they allow you to to kind of come and go and the you idea play the shuffle game you'll probably land on something <coughs> interesting and but but i always like going through an album of course not a, not a course. single song this well one of those bands that's that, why we do this yeah but, but, i love their album but the idea of an anytime band a band that you can listen to anytime they're not as common as you'd think there are a lot of bands that i have to be in the mood to listen to but then there are other artists or bands that i can listen to anytime and it's an interesting when you look at it it's interesting what makes something in an anytime band like for me, um, Sarah likes to pick on me and make fun of me a little. I listen to Adam Warrock a lot. And in fact, when I'm indecisive on what to listen to on my iPod, I think I've said this before on the podcast, I go straight to him. I just listen to his stuff mm -hmm. because she calls him my hip-hop comfort food. And it's true. A lot of his songs, because I can kind of listen to them no matter what mood I'm in, I go straight to it. Um, on the opposite end, an end-of-time band used to be Rob Zombie because his songs were just so ridiculous and most of the time emotionless in the sense that they were just about whatever. They were storytelling songs. Right. I could listen to it almost any time. You know, and there's something to be said for that. A comfort food, comfort, you know, comfort album. I, I think a lot of people have them because it steps back to sometimes nostalgia. Nostalgia is something you're bound to go back to because it just puts you in a very, very safe place. Say something you used to listen to when you were very young. But at the same time, that almost indirectly starts building your later tastes such that you can have, you know, a, a, an amalgamation of sounds, as I frequently cited and certainly many times in this episode, funk, for me, yeah. is just this, like, anytime thing. You know, you settled me in that groove, and you could pretty much do anything. It's almost like a free ride, a free pass. It's not to impugn uh, the, the integrity of the art or the, uh, or the work that went behind the art, but it is definitely... It, it's... It's poking in the dark 
But when you hit upon the right person who sees it in such a way, then you know that you have that fan for life. Yeah. And I think also the thing about this concept of a comfort food or anytime band is it's different person to person. Like, if you were a fan of Adam Warrock, you might not feel that way about his music. You might feel connection to it in a way mm-hmm. that you only listen to it when you're happy or sad. Right. Actually, we've reviewed three bands in the last six months, two I brought on, which are my anytime bands. One is very recently added to that, and that would be the Decemberists, because frankly, their music just is... I, I'm i still pissed that Steve took so long to go, you hey. doing Decemberists. Hey, it was always out there. It was out there, but I didn't know. It's like, you know, <laughs> but you didn't know. And then, of course, Modest Mouse actually is... But it's never the specific... It's always a specific song that can fit any time. The band fits any time, but none of their songs yeah. breach no, that. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They're very specific. Yeah. Weezer, of course, I've talked about it too much. That's my third. That's the one that, honestly, I put on shuffle, and I don't, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm enjoying myself. I think it's important. That's a nostalgia thing for you, for sure, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It in- includes the newer stuff, and except for those that shall not be named. That's fine. We won't talk about it. Kind of like Star Wars prequels. As Robert says, you play him back, back in time. And yeah, you play him back in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was actually a pretty funny joke. I enjoyed that. Um, uh, you could probably say the same for Green Day, too. Actually, if you played them backwards, they'd become the greatest band in the world. No, no, no. They culminated. Well, let's curb back the greatest band in the world thing. <laughs> yeah, but, you fair. know, you land in an interesting and certainly beneficial place. Um, but I think it's important as a fan of music to have an anytime or comfort food band. Something you can go to when you're not sure... When you're not sure about anything, life, your emotional state. Or even just a band that you can put on and just have as background music because you're so intricate. and, and You're so their, invested you in them, you that. know them so well. You know right. that band, you know that song. You don't even have to listen to it, you already know the song. You, you, it's so ingrained in your mind that it's you throw that. it on as just background noise so that there's something playing so it's not so silent. It's great to have music that you can do that with. Yeah. Not something that's throwaway, but something that is just a warm blanket that you don't know you have around you. Well, warm on, blanket, on, I like that. On, on that point, um, especially considering, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis behind, uh, behind direct and invested listens. You know, you sit with, with it, your headphones, you know, and in my case, sometimes I'm like at the piano, like really looking at, you know, the, the keener points. But... Um, to be fair, of course, not everyone has that option. Not everyone has that time. You know, we always encourage our listeners to give very, very intensive listens. But sometimes you really just do need something to fill the science, the silence, as as John said. Um, and it's kind of like a concession for that. So if that's the time that you have, if all you have is, let's say, the course of your commute, then, you know, well, what are you more likely to fill it with? It's probably going to be that kind of band. The band that just has that sound that is just going to put you in in exactly the right place that you need for the limited time that you have. So I'd like to close this discussion with a question. What are your anytime bands? If you're listening to this and you're listening to this episode, post in the comments what bands that you really kind of like to listen to when you're in that state or when you just want something that you can listen to no matter what state you're in. I'd love to hear the options because I guarantee there'll be a huge variety. I'll even put it out there, you know, talk about flip sides. Funk is one of mine, but also Baroque music. Well, like straight up, like like mid you know seventeenth century, you know Bach, Vivaldi. It's a very very just like you put it on. I I, I feel productive, rejuvenated. You know, a lot of times it's just like this 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 steady glossed sound. But it it really is um that's the bed that you want to sleep in. 
from here, I think this is a great place to segue right on into our spam of the week. Spam of the week. Spam of the week. Someday you'll actually spam write a thing week. for it. Spam of the week. Spam of the week. Someday you'll write I saw you're going there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you got that. See? Music. Brings people together. Oh, and so is the spam. Love takes its own feverish course. As Mary and Rob join forces to prevent a clash between the hot-headed clans and to protect their budding love. For more on this discussion, check out Michael Marley's Green-Eyed Monster. Don't buy Mayweather's Retirement Drivel. Most of the entries in the annals are much shorter in length and different in tone. For instance, most entries are the name of the person, date of birth, and age of death. Maybe in exploit or two, but never the detail of the Arthur entry. Bye, Class of the Can. Clash of the Clans, hack tool. They had me at love. Oh, well, that was the first and word. And then they lost me after that. Takes. <laughs> well, whatever that word was that you tried to pronounce that didn't sound like a word. No, well, no, it's, it it, it's it's spelled E-X-P-O-O-I-T. How would you pronounce it? Expoit. 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 Okay. Clash of Clans, they like to use stereotypical Irish or so Scottish accents. The bots are having strokes. Yes. <laughs> That's a step. Excellent. Yeah, it's a step towards humanity, having right. our problems. Yeah. Um, good, good. Take those problems. We don't want them. <laughs> Next week's album, we're going to do another fan pick. We had gotten this about a month or so ago, and we've been just trying to find a place to do it justice properly and feature it right. It's uh, our second fan request from fan Kristen V. And this time she sends us something that John had mentioned actually earlier in the year that he was interested in hearing. And it is the newest record from Fall Out Boy, American Beauty, American Psycho. Um, I am a fan of their earlier work. The middle stuff I kind of didn't listen to as much, so I might like this. That's I'm not okay. Sure. You didn't have to really listen to the middle stuff. They're great early. They yeah. were really great early. And then they were the same exact thing in the middle. So uh, you can't complain, but... You can't really wax eloquence on it. This has been getting good reviews, but as we've seen in the past, bands that get good reviews don't actually make good music, so we'll see. Uh, this might be the year of, where are they now? I think that's what we're kind of going true. for. Just like, where are they now? It's been eight years, here's a new album. Where are they now? Mm. I don't, well, you know, <laughs> see, they're a high school thing, from, and I was never into them, but I was right. surrounded by oh, it sure, in high school. So it's one of those, like, slightly negative nostalgia things. But you know what? People mature. And I'm re referring specifically to the band. And we've had very interesting tracks that looked at the subject of a band that evolved out of, let's say, their boy band stage. Yeah. Or their, you know... Um, you know, only, or capability of only getting like high school uh, girls on your side, essentially yeah. as fans. Um, that was the first track off the December album, in fact. So, so they well, looked at that subject, and who knows? Maybe, maybe they are that band. Maybe. On that note, remember, music is life, and, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.